Thank you, Mike. Like I pointed out uh, before, <clears throat> that uh, I wasn't going to go over uh, sections of, of John that we've gone over recently, just because uh, I had to promise uh, prayer meeting that the sermon series wouldn't take three years the way prayer meeting has in order to get through the Gospel of John. So uh, the end of chapter three is the John's final treatment of the story of John the Baptist. And uh, I actually preached on this last year, April 18th, if you want to take a look. Uh, April 18th of our pandemic year, it's been almost a year. I called that uh, He Must Increase. And so if you want to take a look, we did that. And then, of course, chapter four is the Samaritan woman at the well. And I actually have done that twice uh, in the last year when we were doing our racial reconciliation series on June 27th. I called it Do Not Rejoice in This, if you want to take a look at that. And then our Asked and Answered series in October, we talked about the Samaritan woman again because she was one of the three people that Jesus ever revealed flat out, plain out, that uh, he was the Messiah. So on October 10th, I called that one Who Do You Think You Are? So if you want to take a look at those, if, you, if you're so inclined, but we're going to move on in ours. Uh, in our study to actually the middle and the end of chapter four. And I just want to remind us of where we've been, some lessons, some very profound lessons that John has taught us about signs of power. Uh, he will uh, get ready to perform only his second sign in the Gospel of John today is what we'll look at. But remember what he has already taught us about faith because of signs or faith because of shows of power, okay? Just to remember, it takes great faith to know that we are children of God. It takes tremendous faith to be assured that he loves us and that even though he knows us, even though he knows exactly who we are, it takes a lot of faith to believe that he loves us knowing who we are. But we've learned that a faith that is based solely on miraculous signs, that's not a faith that's solid. It's not a faith that can save. Jesus doesn't trust it. That's why he doesn't use it every time. It's a, every time that he comes across somebody, he doesn't perform a sign or an act, even though they ask for it. You know, show us signs, show us wonders to tell us who you are. Jesus doesn't do that. It's because that's not what he wants. He doesn't want to show everybody his power. He wants to show everybody his love. So remember that, a, that, that they're necessary, that first faith in, in the signs, in knowing that Jesus has divine power, that has its place. But he doesn't stop there. He brings us further. And so maybe teaching us not to trust a faith based completely on signs is something that he is trying to do. And maybe today's story will help us you know, maybe just a little bit. Again, he teaches us not to trust it, but something to remember when we meet this gentleman uh, in, our, in our scripture reading today. So we're in John 4. It's after uh, the narrative, if you will, after he spent two days in Samaria uh, with, the, with the woman and also the people of Samaria. John tells us, beginning in verse 43, he says, when the two days were over, he went from that place to Galilee. For Jesus himself had, had testified that a prophet has no honor in the prophet's own country. And when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him since they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the festival, 
for they had gone to the festival. So all they know about him is what they saw him do in Jerusalem. And what did he do in Jerusalem? He upset the tables, okay? Remember, remember I told you that that in and of itself was a sign. Zechariah actually prophesied that that would happen. So it's interesting that these Galileans know that sign. And so they're happy to welcome him back home. It's a strange way to begin a passage, though, don't you think? To remind everybody what Jesus said about a prophet being without honor except in his hometown, or actually a prophet being with honor except in his own town. It's a strange, it's a strange way that John would tell us that ahead of time. But the Galileans welcome him. So the question you have to ask is, was Jesus' testimony false? Did he give false testimony? And actually, no. Not if we've learned the lesson that has already been taught by this gospel. See, verse 45 says, they had seen all he had done. They only believe in him right now. They only believe in him because of what? Because of the signs. And what's interesting is that this particular sign wasn't what you would call a miracle kind of sign. He just performed a sign. So their faith only goes that far. They believed that, it's not that they believe that he's the Messiah. They're not even asking that. They're going as far as what they believe in him is that he is a celebrity. So you have to remember, Galilee has a reputation. Is Galilee, uh, is it known as a sophisticated place? As a metropolitan place? Are the people there known as sophisticated and educated? Are they even known as spiritual? No, they aren't at all. So imagine that you have a rabbi who's become this popular and he's one of their own. That's what they're excited about. He's a celebrity. One of their own has hit the big time and he's come back home and he's come back home. But just remember that this faith that's based on signs is only a partial faith. They have that superficial faith based only on signs. His comment in verse 44 about a prophet without honor is for us. It's for us reading it. This enthusiasm for him based on his miracles, he says, is no honor. They're not honoring him because he's a prophet. They're honoring him because of the signs. So again, if that's partial faith, then that, that cryptic message that he gives us before, the, before it starts is for us. It's not for the Galileans. It's for us to remember, okay? It's for us to remember that maybe, just maybe, we need to think a little bit about our faith in Jesus and why we claim to believe. What is it based on? See, the only true worship of him is based on spirit and truth. That's what he just got finished telling the woman at the well. The day is coming when none of this will matter uh, as to where the temple was supposed to be built, as to what mountain you're supposed to be worshiping on, as to whether or not you're Judean or, or Samaritan. There's a day coming when it'll be based only on what? In spirit and in truth. So that's what he was able to tell her, and this is what he is coming off of. So two days, he spends two days at the end of the Samaritan uh, discourse, if you will. It says, they asked him to stay, and he said that he would stay two days. So that's where we pick up this. It says, after those two days, that's where we are right now. Verse 46, 
oops, sorry. Verse 46 says, he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had changed the water into wine. Now, as I said, at the end of today, he's going to perform his second sign. Not 100% sure which one that he counts as number one. Does he count the water to wine as the first sign or does he count the upsetting of the money changers as the first sign? I don't know. He's about to do his second one, but it's interesting. He comes back to the scene of the first. He's back in Cana. He's back in this village. And it says, there was a royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. He was at the point of death. So this royal official comes from Capernaum. Now, Cana, we're not 100% sure. There's four legitimate sites of Cana. They're all within about, I would say, about five to 10 miles of each other. So it really, it doesn't matter a heck of a lot. But the trip from Capernaum to Cana is at least 12 miles. It's as much as 18. So anywhere from 12 to 18 miles. So you have to remember, no cell phones, no telegrams, okay? He heard that Jesus was back in Cana, and he takes off. So I would say that even at a pretty good clip, at a pretty good walk, this is still about a five to six to seven hour walk. And I don't know if he ran or not. I don't know if he tried to run or not, okay? But he heard, and he comes. So something has to be going on. Right? So it's about, you know, if from five hours that he gets the news, it could be as much as 10 hours that Jesus arrives that this guy shows up. And all it says is that he is a royal official. We don't know of which royalty. If he's in Capernaum, I can say this, that there wasn't really a station for Judean royalty. In other words, there wasn't a King Herod there. Okay, Herod's palace in Galilee was not anywhere near Capernaum. But there is a synagogue in Capernaum and there probably is some sort of Roman outpost in Capernaum because the king's highway runs right by Capernaum, right on the outside. If you've been there, Mike, remember the, the wall that was out back? You remember that sign, that road sign that said that was the highway, that was the main highway, the king's highway that would go eventually all the way to Rome. So it's quite possible that there would be a Roman toll collector in Capernaum, but we're not 100% sure. And then, of course, there was Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. But he wouldn't be addressed as royal official, but that's all we know about him is that he was a royal official, okay? He's a royal official. And it says that he says his son is about to die. Jesus says this to him. It's strange what he says. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and what? And wonders, you will not what? You will not believe. Now, I don't know about you, but for a guy whose son is dying, it sounds to me like the Lord was a little bit rough on him, don't you? Just a little bit. Sounds like it. But we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in a bit. Maybe he wasn't. And maybe what he said was not for him to hear, but was for those around him to hear. These, these celebrating Galileans around him. These celebrity-loving Galileans who are around him. Maybe it was only for them to hear. I don't know how loud he said it. 
And I'm not sure 100% that he was saying it to this man, but we'll keep going to see what you think, okay? If he's not saying it to this royal official, then he's confirming what he said, say, in verses 44 and 45, isn't he? Okay, that this prophet, he says that a prophet is not with honor in his hometown because of this celebrity status, because of this partial faith that are only in the signs. Maybe that's what he's addressing. Maybe that's who he's talking to. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So he's just maybe confirming that. Jesus sees in these Galileans a people who are awed by miracles and great works, but they're slow to believe what? They're slow to believe his words. Because these same Galileans, and I'm not, we're not 100% sure about the timeline. You have to remember that John's timeline is mostly to do with the last, uh, uh, mostly to do with the last, say, one year of Jesus' ministry in life. Whereas the Gospels, the, the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they cover all three and a half years. So we're not sure of the timeline, but when he preaches in the synagogue of Nazareth, are the Galileans real thrilled to hear his words? No. In fact, they're ready to kill him when they hear his words. They celebrate when he performs signs. They kill him, or want to, because of his word. When he begins to speak. So he speaks plainly and directly to him. He just comes right out and says it right here. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. What does that sound like? The last time he was this direct, at least in the gospel of John, was with who? With Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus came at him with signs, remember? And what did he say? He cut him off right there. This isn't about signs, Nicodemus. I, 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 I admire your faith. You've got pretty good faith. Not bad faith for a Pharisee who believes in signs and wonders. That's good. But if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, if you want to taste the kingdom of heaven, you need to be what? You need to be born again. So he's speaking just as directly today with these Galileans, plainly. Directly, just like he did for Nicodemus. They need to move beyond signs as a basis for faith. We need to move beyond power as a basis of faith. And as he's told Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That is not a commendation of them. So I'm not sure why he put it that way. But I only know that this official... Now, may, might be thinking, if he heard him, he might be thinking that his mission's in trouble. Okay? Because next he just says what? Please. Please come. Before my little boy what? Before he dies. So in a way, he could be, he just might be begging him. As Jesus is teaching a lesson to these Galileans, <laughs> the father's only got one thing on his mind. Let's go. Let's go. And he gets a reply. That's all he gets. All Jesus does is reply. And what did he say to him? He said, go. Your son will what? That's it. Imagine that. No other assurance. No action. No proof. He just tells him with his what? With his words, if you will, your son will live. 
So Dr. John Pauline, in his uh, Bible Amplifier series on John, says here, he goes, for the man, for the father now, it's showdown time. What will he do? Think about this. What would you do? Tom, Gilbert, what would you do as a father? What do you think you would do? What do you, what do you think? To be completely honest. Me, to be completely honest, and I won't speak of anybody else, I think I would have to say, you're gonna have to do more than that for me. It's another five hours back to Capernaum. You're gonna have to do more than that. You're gonna need to give me a what? You're gonna need to give me a sign. That's just me. That's just me. I would demand some sort of physical evidence before you ask of me faith. I need to see something. See, but that's the question. That's the showdown right here. What is he going to do? What is he going to do? Will he have faith? Faith based on what? On Jesus' words alone. Nothing else. So you have to, you have to kind of get your head around this. If he's a Gentile... Okay, if he's, a, if he's a Gentile, then it's the signs and the wonders that are for him. Signs and wonders are supposed to teach people who, who don't have a God or who, who don't believe in this particular God, even to kind of open the door to prove to them that he is God. You get what I'm saying? But with him, he just, he just, he cuts it off. No signs, no wonders, just my word. Go, your son will live. You had enough faith to run all the way from Capernaum to here to ask me. You must think I can do it. All right, so I'll honor that, Jesus says. I'll honor that, your son will live. So like I said, the intent of signs is to introduce people like this to God by starting where we think we wanna start and that's divine power. But divine power is good, but, and I love how Dr. Pauline puts this, the very awesomeness of the miraculous act can blind the eye of faith to the revelation of who Jesus is that the miracle contains. In other words, we get completely enamored and wrapped up in the what? In the power, and we forget about who the miracle really is. You with me? That's the double-edged sword of signs and wonders. The very sign and wonder we think we want can actually drive us or stop us from going further to what Jesus wants. And what does he want? Does he want to perform signs and wonders for us? No, not necessarily. He wants us to walk and talk with him. He wants us to develop something that is more than just having to constantly prove who he is to us. Just do this, and I will believe. Just do this, and I'll believe. That's what the Galileans are telling him. That's what most of Israel tells him his entire ministry. Even the night before he dies, when he's sent to Herod. Herod wants to see a sign. Remember? Pilate doesn't want to deal with him. Pilate finds out he's from Galilee. Send him to Galilee. He's in Herod's jurisdiction. First thing Herod asks for when he meets him is what? Show us a sign. I want to see some signs like you've been performing around. He was asked that all his life. Hold him hostage with our faith. You want me to believe, Jesus? 
then show me something. Show me something. When Moses brings Israel to the foot of Mount Sinai, it was the first time that he was introducing the children of Israel to this God that Moses told him sent him, right? Let me introduce you to this God. I'm taking you out of Egypt because God said, go get my kids and bring them here. So you're gonna meet him. In three days, you're gonna meet him, okay? And what happened on that third day? In fact, they were told, they were told a whole bunch of things of what not to do around that mountain. Don't even dare to try to come up this mountain. Don't dare to try to come up and see me, not until I'm ready, not until you're ready. Remember, three days of prep, all kinds of prep. And if anybody were to wander near that mountain, he says, shoot them. <laughs> shoot them. Don't even allow an animal to stray onto the mountain. That's pretty serious. But then remember the one thing that he said is, when on the third day you hear the trumpet, then you can what? Come on up. But the third day got confusing, right? Because it wasn't just the trumpet. It was also what? It was thunder. It was lightning. It was earthquakes. The, the mountain was shaking. It was quaking. It was smoking. In other words, God was showing them what they wanted, that he truly is a God. Because remember what they've been living with. For 400 years, they've been living with a pagan gods who performed these powers and these signs all the time. Even some of the signs that Moses performed to the Egyptians, they were able to do themselves, right? They could do it too. So God gives them a sign. But notice, they think the fire, the thunder, the lightning, the shaking, the smoking rock, they think that that power allows him to be God, but what really allows him to be God is the sound of that shofar, the sound of that trumpet. He didn't want to just show him his power. He wanted to show him what? He wanted to show him his love. He wanted to show him that he wanted to be present with them. But the signs of the power and the wonders, they covered everything up, didn't they? They didn't even hear it. In fact, Moses said that as the thunder got louder, so did the shofar. See, initially, everybody needs a sign. And the beautiful thing is God is willing to give what that person what they need, or at least what they think they need, to start or to begin their journey of faith. But a faith that's nourished only by signs is not the faith that Jesus came to encourage. It's not the faith that he came to offer. True Christian faith is based on the word. And not the word on the page, by the way. <laughs> based on the word become flesh. Based on the incarnated word. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. So what's interesting is, is that even this, who, what could be a pagan, what could be a Gentile, it, he says, what happened? What did he do? The man believed the word. The man believed his word. And he started then on his way. See, now you think it's one thing to say you believe. It's another thing to have it proven by your actions. He walks away. He isn't hung around. He didn't even say that he looked over his shoulder just to see if there was a sign that Jesus really was going to do what he said he was going to do. 
He walked away and started back, started back to Capernaum. Have you ever, have you ever prayed and then just walked away as if it were already answered? I haven't. I wish you could teach me how to do that. (laughs) But that's the point, I guess. That's the point. That's the point of Sinai. That's the point of all of that. Because uh, it's a rabbit trail. I'll tell you that it's a rabbit trail before I head down it, okay? When we pray and we ask for something, it's because we really want it to happen, right? Does it always just because we asked for it? No. Okay. So signs and wonders will only take me so far, won't it? I'm asking for a sign. I'm asking for a wonder. I'm asking for somebody to be healed. I'm asking for some sort of trial or tribulation to be kept from me or for me to be delivered from. If I prayed for all of that, if I've done it right, if I've done it in faith, then, then you know, it should happen, right? But it doesn't always, does it? Right? So if my faith is based on just signs and wonders, then if it doesn't happen, then my faith will either die or begin to die when it doesn't. But that further faith that Jesus brings me along in, if I get to walk and talk with God, then if it doesn't happen, then I have a relationship with God to where I can say, why the heck not? What happened? So that frees me up to pray and to worship, not based on anything else but his word and faith. I don't need signs and wonders in order to believe. In prayer meeting right now, we're, we're, we'll see that Jesus will pray his, that prayer for his disciples. Father, they're in the world. I pray that you do not take them out of the world, but that you protect them from it by allowing me to be with them in it. Just something to think about. This man's remarkable, though. He walks away as if it's already been answered. In a way, it really doesn't mean much to him. Whatever happens doesn't really mean much, kind of. If he gets home to Capernaum and his son isn't, I don't know, I'm not not 100% sure. But we we don't have to speculate that because when Jesus said, your son will live, he meant it. And the son actually does. But this guy, this guy is something. As he was going down, his slaves met him. His slaves met him and told him that his child was alive. So remember, now they go on the journey. So what happens is, is that as soon as the child is healed, they go on the journey to find him, and they come across him. They're out there, they come across him. Your child's alive. Not just alive, not just still alive. It's it's not that that the sickness hasn't killed him yet. Something happened for them to, to say that something changed. He's not just alive in sickness. He's what? He's healed, he's cured. Your child's alive. So he asked them the hour when he began to recover, and they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Did you get that? Yesterday. (laughs) Now, like I said, 
If you're not going to show me a sign that my son will live, then I'm going to run home and see it myself. I can be home in five hours. But when Jesus said those words at one o'clock, okay, this guy decided to stop and smell the roses. This guy decided to take the long way home. In fact, he turned a five-hour trip into nearly a 36-hour trip. He's not home yet. They meet him on the way. Do we have one more? Yeah. The father realized that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he himself believed along with what? Along with his whole household. So you get what he did here. See, up to a certain point, he seems to have done just what any of us would do. That is hoof it back to Capernaum as fast as we can, by the way. But that's up to when they told him the boy was healed. One o'clock yesterday. If this man was as panicked as we would have been, then he would have come home long before dark. Like I said, five hours. He could get there in five hours. If he runs, maybe even more. But he has such great faith in Jesus' words, he hangs around Cana. He takes the long, long way home. By the way, when you hit the Sea of Galilee, you know, from, from the north, uh, from the north, uh, I'm horrible at this, from the northeast, you hit the Sea of Galilee and you begin to walk around it, it's gorgeous, isn't it, guys? Absolutely gorgeous. From Tiberius around to Capernaum, that has to be one of the prettiest walks you've ever seen. It may, he may have not even made it that far, but that's what he's doing. He's smelling flowers. He's talking to folks. My son is now well. My wife's getting rest. He's resting. I'll get home when they're awake and refreshed ready to hug me. The man has truly come to believe. But also, also, in this faith, he's allowed to do what it's supposed to do, what faith is supposed to do. It's he himself who believes along with his what? Along with his household. He shows up a day later and he's got a story, doesn't he? He shows up a day later and he gives his wife and his household the same faith that was given him yesterday. He becomes a true witness for Christ. Not the sign and the wonder of the healing, but the faith that Jesus asked him to have beyond the sign and the wonder of healing. He's got a story when he gets home, doesn't he? Much better story than running right home. So the sign blends with the words of Jesus. It confirms this boy's father's faith and his whole household believes. Gospel continues with us reinforcing these themes. What we've seen before is that Jesus is just as capable at a distance of 2,000 years than if he would be physically present. It's not a disadvantage to only have heard the word and not to have walked and talked with him physically. As a matter of fact, he said, not only is his word as good as his touch, his word might even be better than his touch. We're blessed of the second generation. Blessed are they who believe yet haven't seen. That's us. So the other is to remember that the words of Jesus is the source of power. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And creation happened simply because of his word. That's where the power is. The power is the, is the, is the word itself. 
So by studying the words of this gospel, we gain the blessings that Jesus would pour out upon us as if he were here in person. And he promises us, if we were to have the faith that, we, that we're supposed to have, not a partial faith due on signs and wonders, but a real faith, a living, breathing faith, along with this living, breathing relationship that he offers, he assures us that this is better than his touch. He says, you guys are better off that I'm not there teaching you. Paul does that. In Galatians, Paul told the Galatians, he said, you know what? I preached Jesus and him crucified so clear, so plain, it was as if you were at the foot of the cross yourself. The word becomes that narrative. The word becomes that powerful. The word becomes flesh. It becomes crystal. It becomes real. With that faith that he's talking about. So again, the written word is as powerful as the physical presence of Jesus. We think we'd want Jesus here. How many here would want Jesus here? You'd rather have Jesus preaching than me? <laughs> Jesus, said, Jesus said, no, you're better off. Blessed are they who haven't seen, and yet what? And yet believe, because that's the faith that he's looking for, to bring it in. Remember, remember one thing, the, the one thing that, that is, is, makes it better is that the problem with Jesus in a physical body is that if he's here, he can't be where? Anywhere else. So Jesus uh, leaves us the Holy Spirit, and we'll get into this. Prayer meeting's been doing it now for, for about six months, talking about the transfer of the Spirit, the transfer of Jesus' presence into the Spirit, not just with them, but in them. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. He says, that's why you guys will do greater things than me. You're, you'll be in more places. I'll, be, I'll get to be in more places than once. <laughs> I'll get to be in two places at one time, three places at one time. I get to be all over the planet. I will get to be wherever you are. So I understand that you want him here to preach. But he's saying, no, it's not my goal. My goal is to be present in all of you. Then you can go and be my word. Not just say my words, not just preach my words. By the way, not just perform my signs and my wonders, right? But to be. To be. So the royal man's behavior gives us an example of how to deal with problems, right? First, we have to acknowledge we have a problem. We have sickness. We have disease in our lives, our friends, our family, our loved ones, ourselves. First thing we need to do is take it to who? Is to take it to Jesus. And receive from him the word that your needs have been met. And to have faith that your needs have been met. So that no matter what happens, your faith doesn't have to rest on what happens next. You don't have to, if it doesn't work out the way we want it to, you don't have to get up and do anything with your faith. You get me? Because by the way, if it doesn't turn out the way we want, what are we going to need more of? Our faith, right? So how do we do it without him here? Study of his word, yes. His word is as good as his touch. If we know his word, we have the best key to solve the problems of life. But remember, we don't leave him there. It only begins there. Faith comes by hearing. It gives us perspective. 
It gives us a faith perspective. We can speak and we can act as if we've received it, not the sign and the wonder we've asked for, but the faith that he gives. By the way, it's not easy. It's not easy because there are going to be times when we do not get what we ask for. We're going to be disappointed. There are going to be times when we're going to have to grieve and we're going to have to mourn. But Jesus said, your faith doesn't have to rely on the sign or the wonder. Your faith can now bring me to you and you to me and I will mourn with you. So I believe, my faith says, that we may not need the healing as a sign of his power. His word has taken us beyond that. So we can't be manipulated with it. Isn't that beautiful? Did he ever want to manipulate us with his power? Did he ever want to be one of those gods that said, I want you to believe in me, so I'm going to show you signs and wonders all day long. Show you such power that you will be overwhelmed and you'll have to worship me. This proves that he's not that God. He never chose to be that God. He would never use his power to manipulate somebody's decision about faith. By the way, who is it that does that? (laughs) People who claim to believe in him do that. We do that. Sometimes we get so desperate to have people believe that we begin to manipulate him with the signs and the wonders. You get what I'm saying? But that's, to me, that's what gives these verses meaning. In John 12, he's gonna say, although he performed so many signs in their presence, they didn't what? They didn't believe. It doesn't matter how many signs they perform. They still won't what? They still won't believe. And in Matthew 13, it said that he didn't do many miracles because of their what? Because of their unbelief. The more miracles he does, the more they do not believe. Because somewhere, somewhere, just down in their soul, as being created with free will, maybe somewhere back in there, they know they're being manipulated. When a human God does that, they know they're being manipulated. God won't do that. God backs off. God stops at your free will. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And we forget that signs of power don't convict anybody. How many times have you heard, if I could have seen that, if I, would have, if I would have been there, if I would have witnessed the parting of the Red Sea, I wouldn't have taken part in the golden calf. How many times have we heard that? Have, any, have you had any friends or family that has told you that? I respect you, Mel, I really do, but I need to see this. I need to understand this. This doesn't make any sense. I need to see it in order to believe. The Bible says they won't. We think that we have witnessed any of those, that we would have been more faithful. Actually, Jesus is proving to us that we're actually less faithful, (laughs) that we actually don't believe. Think of this the next time you're reading through the Exodus. Were the plagues of Egypt signs of God's power? Were they? Sure they were, right? Sure they were. He gave Moses those what? Signs. Because Pharaoh kept asking for them, right? He kept saying, prove it to me. But let me ask you this. After all of them, after the 10 plagues are done and they've wreaked all their havoc and all that power of God has shown, did they get one single Egyptian convert? 
No. The only signs of quote-unquote conversion that you see is that before the hailstorm, there were some who brought in their cattle (laughs) because they said, you know what? This guy knows what he's talking about. I don't want my cattle killed. So they actually bring their cattle indoors, in the house with them. But we forget that signs of power don't convict anybody. We forget that they can be taken as distant and as a non-caring act. That's what the Egyptian plagues were, weren't they? What are they missing? What's that power missing? They're missing the presence of God in Moses' life. They're missing the conversation, aren't they? They're missing all of that. All that's happening is something that could even be uh, written off as something that nature is doing. Did God ever want to be that impersonal? Did he ever want to just sit on his throne and let stuff happen? Wasn't good enough for him, was it? Especially when it came to creating you and me. Jesus wants to draw us in, wants us to walk with him and talk with him. The signs and the wonders may open the door. It may give a glimpse. It may uh, slake a thirst that we have for a little bit of divinity, for a little bit of power before we, before we move on. Jesus is willing to do that. But there comes a point in time where he says, it's no longer working. You're gonna need to make a decision like he asked our friend today. By the way, another reason why signs and power don't con- can convict anyone to worship is because God isn't the only one that can do them, right? When Manoah and his wife, Samson's parents, meet the angel of God, they wanna cook for him, they wanna, they wanna make him a meal, and the angel keeps saying, no, I'm not gonna eat any of your food, okay? Because they think they can manipulate this angel, right? And they lay the food out there, and the angel touches it, and what happens? It draws off in fire. fire. They fall down as if they're worshiping, but the angel left. The angel's gone. In Matthew 7, 22, there are people that in that day say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons, perform many miracles? Jesus isn't the only one that can perform these. People can perform them. Angels can perform them. But when John tries to worship the angel in Revelation, what does the angel tell him? Get off your knees. You don't worship me. And when the Thessalonians try to worship Paul and Barnabas, what do they tell him? No. So our faith can't be based on that. And he doesn't leave us there. A pagan God would leave us there. A powerful God would leave us there, would leave us with the signs and the wonders, would leave us to just wondering whether or not this God is gonna do anything for me. They would leave us there to roll the dice every time we prayed. But Jesus offers a relationship. He offers a walking, living, breathing faith so that when the signs and the wonders don't work out, Our faith doesn't have to be predicated upon it. He will not bully us into believing in him with distant displays of signs and wonders. I started with our scripture reading being in Matthew 8 because some say that the healing of the centurion's slave 
and this father in, in John are uh, parallel accounts of, a sto- of the same story. There's some major differences that can indicate that they're two separate incidents. But the only thing that I think that really links them together, where I really do believe that they are the same story, and I, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that they could confuse whether or not the centurion said it was my slave that's dying or my son that's dying. I don't, I don't I, you know, to me, I think they could get that wrong, right? I think they could misunderstand that. But what I love about this, what brings the story together is that, is that he's, he's called a Roman official. Matthew and Luke call him a centurion, okay? So he could even be as much as an enemy of Israel, if you will. But if it is the same story, it would complete the cycle of something that we may not realize was started back in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that what? Whoever. It completes the cycle of whoever. Because when he says this the first time, he says it to a Pharisee. And who does the Pharisee represent uh, for us in here? Who are the Pharisees? Are the Pharisees the believers or the non-believers? They're believers, aren't they? They are professed to be believers. They're Jesus' modern-day church. They're the first-century church. So the Pharisees are the church people that he's speaking to. And they're the ones that believe because of signs. See, Nicodemus thought he had it wired. Nicodemus thought that he was worthy of the signs and the wonder of God because he was righteous, because he did everything right. He had the right doctrine. He had the right everything. He had right stuff. Everything about him was right. So that's why he was rich. That's why he was healthy. And that's why he was able to recognize the signs of the Messiah. God does this for us who are righteous. But Jesus says to the church of the day, the signs without a born again loving relationship ends up teaching other people to become twice the son of hell as you are. Right? Because that's what they did. They'd go up to Galilee and convince these poor Galileans that they were suffering and poor because they weren't like me. And they felt good about doing it. The next one he encounters on the, who, on the whoever list is a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans believers or not? They're believers. But they just had doctrinal differences, didn't they? So the Samaritan represents who? Represents other believers of another denomination. We just got some doctrinal differences. The temple, the mountain, where it might be, where it should be. Otherwise, it's the same God. Otherwise, it's the same family. Jacob's well is right there, okay? They're drinking from Jacob's well. Jacob, who was named Israel. They just have some differences, if you will. But Jesus does not let those doctrinal differences stand in the way. What does he offer the woman that day? Eternal water, right? A well that springs up within the soul. He offers him those doctrinal differences doesn't stand in the way of Jesus saying, here, if you knew who was speaking to you, he says, if you knew the gift of God, you would ask me, he said, for water and I would give you living water. 
What's the other thing that he doesn't let stand in the way of giving her this living water? Her sin. In fact, if she was looking for a sign or a wonder, that's the one sign that he gives her is that he knows what her sin is. He knows exactly who she is and that doesn't stand in the way of him giving her eternal life either. And this completes the cycle. A Gentile, maybe even an enemy, and out of all the ones, out of the, the, the staunch uh, present truth church goer, the one that's just a, a little bit different in doctrinal difference and a sinner, uh, by the way, and then here, this Gentile, out of all three, he's the only one that gets it. And if it is the same story, if it's exactly the same story, even Jesus will say, I have not found faith like this in all of Israel. Because all he needed was my word. All he needed was the word incarnate. All he needed was for me to stand before him and to breathe the words out, go, your son will live. So this completes the whoever, anyone, whoever, who will come to Jesus and believe in him will be saved. Is saved, according to Jesus up until this point, right? They've already passed from judgment to eternal life. They've already passed from condemnation to eternal life. If you would believe, you what? Have eternal life. So it is a message for us. It's a message for us on how we treat other people. When we leave here and we look at other people, especially other people from other denominations, when we look at each other and we're, and we're arguing about this or that, What's our faith based on? That's, just, that's all I'm asking is, what's our faith based on? What's going to happen the next time I ask for a sign or a wonder and it doesn't work out? And do I know, do I have at least enough faith to know that he knows me and that he already loves me and he's already given us the power to be his children? I'm thankful that this Gentile, whoever he is, that this man, whoever he is, reminded us of that today. How about you? Amen. Thank you all. Thank you at home for being with us. Thank you for being with us here.